you have a Bible nearby, we'll be in Luke chapter 24. We'll bring the lights up so you can see what's going on. We'll start in Luke 24 and uh, see where it goes. Uh, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm just uh, super glad that you are here with us tonight. Uh, I know there's a lot of places you could be, and uh, I'm glad that you're here. So um, we are kind of moving through this post-Easer, Easer, that's, man, Easter, right, Ebenezer, Easter, got it, okay. Um, The post-Easter season which is really a season of its own. So you, you do Lent for six weeks leading up to Easter, and then Easter has its own uh, period of time uh, celebrating the 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension. And so this is a, a season of the church calendar uh, where churches all over the world are, are just continuing to talk about the fact that Jesus uh, died and was buried and was raised from the dead. And just all that that means to us and, and how that has literally changed the entire world uh, in ways that we are aware of and in ways that we are not aware of. And so we're just continuing to work through and just uh, kind of stay focused on the fact that Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, uh, everything is different now. And so last week we started looking at the, the fact that you know, he lived 40 days and then there's this passage we're about to read where he ascended into heaven. And what does that mean? Sometimes it's, we kind of skip over that too quickly, but there's some major, major stuff in here for us. So uh, if you would just look with me, Luke 24. Uh, we'll have the verses on the screen for us as well. It says, Then he said to them, this is verse 44, He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses And the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So in Luke's account of the gospel, these are Jesus' parting words. And last week, you can you can check out the podcast for that. We kind of kind of looked at the in the different accounts what were like the the last couple of things that he said to them. Because he he was there for forty days, and so he he taught certain things. He um, made sure that Peter knew that, that they were good. You know, Peter had denied him before the crucifixion, and so he took, like, like went to great lengths to restore Peter. Um, he was sometimes with the disciples, sometimes he wasn't with the disciples, and he was preparing them for what was ahead. And in his final words, we see this commissioning, this sending out where there are just some very important things that he wants them to know in terms of why he has left us here. And so you'll just need to listen to that podcast because I can't recap it or we'll be here forever. So uh, you're welcome for that. So just kind of check that out. But, but just know that he, in those words, he says, I'm, I'm leaving you here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to send the Spirit to you to empower you so that you can go and tell everyone that the forgiveness of sins is now like a thing. That there is this new kingdom, that there is this new reality to bring to the nations uh, because people need to know that Jesus has gone into heaven 
And he has left us here because there are people who don't know yet. They don't know the, the goodness and the grace of Jesus yet. And so he has handed that to the church to literally take into the entire world. And we're still working on it. We're still trying to get that done. Um, and he is empowering us and, and, and holds us to that and encourages us along. And so he gives this commission. And then we see um, in verse 50, it says, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. In, uh, in the book of Acts and in the, uh, in the book of Matthew, these are covered. But in the book of Acts especially, it says that, that there was a cloud that he kind of like ascended on this like cloud. Like the glory of God just like took him. And though even just the word that he ascended means that he went up. And that in and of itself um, kind of creates some like intrigue, I think. So Jesus like hops on a cloud and like floats up into the air, like out of sight. And they're all standing around like, what's going on? And then there's an angel that comes and's like, uh, look, he's going to come back the same way that he left. You need to get with it. And so they did. And that's why we're here, honestly, because they took him very seriously. And so Jesus being ascended into heaven, what, is that, what does that mean? Why is that important? Um, what does that tell us about today? Is this just one of those things that happened that's just completely mysterious? Or does it make a difference in who we are, what we're called to do, what our days look like? Um, I believe that it's the latter. I think it absolutely matters. And uh, we could draw away a number of different points. I've just gone with three because preachers like threes. And for all you note-taking people, there's, they also all start with the same two words. So... I've heard that people like that. Do you note-takers like that? I, I work hard sometimes to like not have them all be with the same letter and that kind of stuff. But today, this, if that's your deal, then here you go. They all start with the words, Jesus is. All right. Um, there's three of them. Uh, Jesus is in heaven, Jesus is ruling, and Jesus is interceding. That right now, Jesus is at work. Like He is still doing stuff for us, still serving us. He's, there is this reality that Jesus has not left us in the way that it appears that he has left us. So the first one, Jesus is in heaven. Uh, first, we need to kind of be on the same page about heaven and, and what, that, what, what heaven is, what it looks like, what it's all about. Um, unfortunately, we have been greatly influenced at this point in history by literature and art that kind of has, has created this thinking about heaven that is really not anywhere in the Bible. Um, there isn't a, a thing in the Bible where it talks about people like, like walking on like clouds in heaven uh, or where you know, there are just like angels with harps everywhere and that kind of stuff. Like it's this kind of weird thing that we've seen. Um, we've seen it painted. We've seen it depicted in movies and on, in TV. We've seen it in literature that, that, that there is this influence that makes us think that heaven is, is something that's like, puffy and white and, you know, just kind of like ambiguous, uh, when in reality the Bible doesn't paint that picture at all. Um, we see in the Bible that whenever you're talking about heaven, uh, sometimes they're talking about the heavens, like literally like the like outer space, the sky, uh, you know, that, that he is the maker of heaven, heaven and earth. Um, sometimes that that's, that's really what they're talking about is like he made the stars and the moon and the sun and he also made the mountains and the water and all that kind of stuff too. Uh, so sometimes the heavens are like up, up there. Sometimes um, heaven is, is equated with God 
where you'll see in Scripture people will say, I've sinned against heaven and, and man. Like in the prodigal son, he, he confesses to his dad that he had sinned against heaven and his father. And by heaven, he really means God. And so sometimes that's what we're talking about. Um, but then there's this third sense that we see the word heaven that, that is like this real place where God dwells. And that's the sense where when Jesus ascended, he didn't ascend into space, although he did go up. You know, it's kind of easy where you could see that conclusion was there. Um, I was doing some research, and one theologian referenced uh, there's a Russian cosmonaut who you know, went into space and came back and told everyone that he didn't see God or heaven up there, so there must not be a God or heaven. And it's like, man, that's a, that's a big space, right? Like, there's like a lot. You didn't cover it all. But anyway, regardless. <laughs> In a, it, that's not what, it, what we're saying, that God went into space or that he um, went into himself some, some sort of way. That, that heaven is this real place where God dwells. It is the dwelling place of God. And it is, is different than, than we tend to think. It's not, a, it's not a state of being. You know, it's not some sort of like imaginary fairyland that's just, you know, like I said, everything's kind of ambiguous or whatever. Uh, it's an actual place. Everything that we see in Revelation points to like tangible things. There's like real stuff that God's seated on, like, seated on a throne that's there. Um, when it talks about like streets being made of gold and all those things that are in the last stanza of a bunch of hymns, you know, those kind of things are, they're real, they're tangible, they're, it isn't this big puffy existence. It's like a real, actual place. Um, Jesus doesn't say, I go to prepare a puffy cloud for you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. That's a real, tangible thing. Um, and a good way to maybe think about it is that heaven is, heaven is God's space. Like that's his space. Where he dwells uh, fully. Um, his presence and his glory are fully known and experienced. Like there's no, there's no doubt uh, as to like what's going on in heaven. That he's there, he's, he's fully there, and that heaven is not far away from us. That Jesus' ascension, I think, in our like, very finite minds, means that it's like up there somewhere, and then that hell is down there somewhere, and we kind of have that dichotomy. But really, heaven is, uh, is all around us all the time. That it's just the space where God is fully dwelling, and there is no veil that's, that's there that's, that's keeping anyone from understanding and seeing him and experiencing that. And so, uh, beginning with like ancient Jewish thought, I mean, the heaven, like heaven is like the atmosphere around us. It's where God is dwelling. It's in, it's in fullness. He's, he's there all the time. It's not up there or far away, but it's all around us. And so, when Jesus is teaching them to pray, our Father in heaven, he's not saying our, our Father in heaven with like this megaphone that you're hoping to be able to hear him. Saying, our Father in this room with us. Our Father who's literally here. That He's not just here when in a worship service. He's not just here when you play the right song. You know, He's not just here when you feel it either. That He is here. Our Father in heaven is the atmosphere around us. So heaven is God's space. Earth is, is our space. Like this is hum- like humanity's space. And the reason that they are, n- are not one and the same is because there is this rebellion 
that, that we have been born into, that we have participated in, where we as humans are constantly trying to declare independence from God. We're saying, we don't really need you. We're, we're pretty smart. We can kind of figure things out, and we're fine. And if we need you, some of us will call on you, but, you know, whatever. So that rebellion has created uh, this separation between us, but it does not mean separation like God is, is off on the other side of the universe. It just means that now we are unaware. We're, it's veiled. We don't know and realize all the time that our Father is in the room with us. That we are in the full presence of God, just like in heaven. There's no difference. We're not operating on 85% presence here. We're operating on 100% presence because both earth and heaven are like in the same place, but there is a veil that's separating them. And that's why you and I, um, so many times, just don't, we don't re- realize that. We don't realize the nearness of God sometimes. But then there are those moments when you're like, you feel like he's like hugging you, you know. You feel like he walked into the room. You feel like you are hearing him speak. You feel like something, and I'm not big on going strictly on emotion, but there are times when you feel it, you know it, that confidence that's there. And in those moments, that's when heaven and earth are, are meeting each other. That's when that, that veil is, is, is thin, you know. N.T. Wright says that heaven and earth, uh, they overlap and they interlock and it's in those times when we are literally experiencing heaven, which is just a full awareness of the presence and the goodness of God, that He would bless us. So at the end of a service, when we, when we pronounce that blessing on each other, and we say, the Lord bless you and keep you, we're not like crossing our fingers and being like, good luck out there this week. We're saying, no, may you just walk continually aware that the, your Father is in the room with you, in the car with you, uh, in class with you, at home with you, that everywhere you go, he's with you, that heaven and earth, although separated uh, by this veil through Christ, that veil has been torn. And that literally happened, and also figuratively happened. That it has been torn, and so now there's this, this amazing overlap kind of idea that happens. In, uh, in Jewish culture, this was like completely normal to them. Um, they, so they had the temple, and there was you know, the Holy of Holies, and it's where like, God dwelled. And for them, like, that was the like, GPS point on the planet where like, that's where heaven and earth connect. It's right there. And so that's coming from where Abraham uh, brought Isaac for the sacrifice, and God said, no, no, you don't, you don't sacrifice your son. I'm going to sacrifice my son. Uh, on that mountain is where Jerusalem was eventually like built, and that's where the temple was made and then destroyed and all that kind of stuff. And now the Dome of the Rock is there, and it's the most sacred place on earth. And uh, all throughout Judaism, their, their idea is that heaven and earth, were, they're together, they're together, they're, they're, uh, I'm sorry, they're separate, we aren't really sure. But if you make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and you go to the temple, uh, that's where that overlap and that interlocking happens, and that's where heaven and earth meet. To the early Christians, Jesus was the meeting of those two things. In Christ, you see heaven and earth interlocking. You see them meeting together. You see exactly what heaven looks like. You see the fullness of the glory of God revealed in Christ. And they probably didn't always know that. They probably didn't always articulate it that way. 
But the early Christians knew, okay, in Jesus, we have a walking, living, breathing temple. And now, through the ascension, he has ascended into, into heaven. He's crossed into that other realm that we can't necessarily see. And he ascended to go up probably because if he just like went in the next room, they'd be like, we know where you are, you know. But he goes up into heaven. They can't follow him. They, don't, they aren't sure what's going on. And so he ascends into heaven, but it doesn't mean outer space. It doesn't mean far away. He just went out of their sight and out of their awareness. He went on the other side of the veil. And so it goes from the temple being the GPS point to being Jesus being the GPS point. And now, through the Spirit being given to us and dwelling in us, there's like millions and millions and millions of GPS points walking around the world. To where now we are a bunch of temples that are walking around carrying literally the Spirit of God, that heaven and earth are overlapping in your life. If you are a Christian, that's what is happening. That through the Spirit, Jesus is able to manifest His presence in every single life. And if you are interested in what I'm talking about, come back next week, because that's what the sermon is on. It's all about the temple and what that means. Okay? Um, but for tonight, let's just, let's just kind of be stunned by the fact that that's what we're talking about with heaven. Heaven is not this future thing. It's not this one day kind of deal. One day this is going to happen. That it's a, like it's a reality right now in this room. Uh, there is a veil, and Jesus helps us to recognize that through His work um, and through the power of the Spirit, we can not be separated. That we can live in that reality. And so, that's a little bit about heaven. So Jesus is now living bodily in God's space. He, is, he has, is now completely on the, in God's realm once again. Um, in addition to that, I'll come back to some of those things in a little bit. In addition to, uh, to that, what was his before the cross, he's receiving uh, even more now as far as worship and honor and glory. That the Jesus who, uh, who descended and lived and... Uh, lived the, the perfect life, died, was raised again. Um, all that, that's not the same Jesus that has ascended. He is different because of what he's gone through. And all of heaven recognizes that. That right now, he is receiving a unique kind of glory and honor and worship for what he has done. That when you read Revelation 4 and 5, you're, like if you were to read through that, that's not future, that's what's happening currently. That now cries of worthy are happening to him. That did not happen before, before the incarnation, before he came to earth. There's a unique kind of worship that is a response to who he is and what he's done. Um, and so he is in heaven. He's fully on, like with the Father. Um, he is alive, raised from the dead in a physical body that's been transformed. He does not have the same body that he had uh, in in the way that we are thinking of it. He still has the scars. He still, he still looks like Jesus. Because that's why they, you know, that's how they, kind of how they recognized him. Um, but there's something different about him. He would just like vanish, you know. And there's just these moments in that post-resurrection time where like, he was like, man, what's going on? Well, he's not the same. That there is something special that happens after the resurrection uh, to the body. And so he is with the Father, he's fully alive, raised from the dead, but his body has been transformed. Um, and he is the first of the new creation, the quote-unquote new creation. 
So in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm making everything new. I'm making all things new. He's bringing, bringing creation from a broken, fallen position, and he's recreating it in, in perfection and in peace and in wholeness and exactly like he wanted it to be. And so Jesus is the first of the new creation that we see. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, uh, is kind of where this comes from. It says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That when, when we look at what happens with Jesus as a progression, we see what our future in Christ looks like. That he sets the pace, we follow him forward into that. N.T. Wright says this, he says, Jesus' risen person, body, mind, heart, and soul, is the prototype of the new creation. He is the prototype. He shows us what our future looks like, that we follow him forward. And so everything from this point on follows in the footsteps of Jesus in terms of being made new. And that is a point that I will return to in just a minute. So that's a bunch of stuff about heaven. Here's the thing. Jesus, that's where he is. He has not vanished into thin air. It's not, we're not looking for him. He didn't live out his years and pass away. He is fully alive with the Father, not far away. But he is closer than we realize. All right? The second thing. So Jesus is in heaven. The second point. Jesus is ruling. Jesus is ruling. There's some, some scriptures that you don't need to turn to, but um, we see in, in uh, Psalm, I'll just rattle them off, Psalm 110, verse 1, Hebrews 1, 3, Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, 1 Peter 3, 22, that, that Jesus is not only just like in heaven, like he's crossed into the realm of God's space as with the Father, but he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So the fact that he is seated is significant all throughout the Bible. And that, that, that says different things in different situations, but that is like a place of accomplishment. It tells us that his redemptive work is done. That when he said it's finished, it really is finished. One, because the Father raised him from the dead. And two, the fact that he's like, hey, I'm going to sit down. So it's one more layer of like, reminder and belief for us that he really has taken care of everything. His redemptive work is done, but his overall work is not done, which is what we talked about last week. He's still at work. He's just done redeeming us and, and providing the, you know, atonement for sin. Now it's that message of forgiveness going out to the world. That's what he is now uh, overseeing. And so he is seated um, but he is ruling from a position that is at the right hand of the Father. All those verses I, I read point to it. The right hand is a place of, of honor, a place of authority. Um, you don't just like, like slip in and sit at the right hand. That's a place where the, the, the ruler, um, the one in authority says, this is your seat. And so the Father has highly exalted him. That the Father adores his son and has given him this name that's above every name. And he is seated at the Father's right hand, this place of honor and this place of authority. And so when I, when I say that the second point is that he is ruling, the fact that he's seated at the right hand of the Father tells us a couple of things. One, it tells us, like he says in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, 
that all authority in heaven and on earth really has been given to him. It tells us that, like Philippians 2, 9, and 11, 9 through 11 says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It tells us that that is really, that's like really happening. Like he really has been bestowed with all those things. The fact that he's seated at the right hand tells us in Ephesians 1, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. He's not saying he's far above them like he's in space. He's talking about in terms of like who's in charge here. That the rulers of the world, whether you're talking about like, like Satan and demons, or you're talking about actual world rulers and uh, presidents and kings and all that kind of stuff, whoever it is, he's not like, yeah, no, he's above them. He's no, looking them in the eye and being like, who's the boss here? I'm really in charge of everything. And so we, we have to rest in that and realize that he has been given that name. He's been put in charge of everything that goes on above any sort of authority, any sort of name, anything that the world around us has to offer. He is above that by the authority given to him by God the Father. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That as he's ruling over nations and armies and uh, all the problems that we have, he's also ruling over the church. That he is the boss of this church. That we are structured and we make decisions in certain ways and elders take a lot of leadership in that. We believe that's biblical. We have staff that makes decisions. We have uh, community group leaders, we have ministry team leaders, we have people in positions making decisions, but every, in every one of those situations, Jesus is the boss of that. If there can never be a point when any leader in any church just says, like, I know what to do here. No, you don't. Because it's not your church. He is over this church. He's over all the churches. Even the messed up ones which we may be part of sometimes, you know? Even the ones that you look at and you're shaking your head and you're like, how in the world can he let that go on? He's over those two. I don't always understand it, but that's what it's saying. That on the church's best day and on her worst day, he's still her husband. And he is committed and he loves her. And he is in charge of everything happening in the universe. So... The second point, Jesus is ruling. He is literally in charge of everything. He doesn't always stay seated. We see him in the Bible standing up at the right hand of the Father. In Revelation, we see him walking among the churches, weighing in on the different issues. Like He is actively ruling. So we cannot think that Jesus is like, look, I did my part. Let the Spirit go do his thing. I'm, I'm taking a break. He's like, no, I'm going to sit down because my redemptive work is done, and now from this place of authority, I'm going to run the universe. Within this system that I've created, I'm going to run it. And he's good at his job. So, Jesus is in heaven. Jesus is ruling. The third one, Jesus is interceding. 
Turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Jesus is interceding. When we think of intercession, we need to, to think um, of literally like standing in between two things. That you're bridging two things together. That you are a mediator. Uh, that's what intercession is about. And uh, so Jesus, as our intercessor, we, we have an understanding that, that that's a part of what he has done uh, for us in, just in his life and his death and his burial and resurrection, all those kind of things, that he is the mediator between God and man. He's fully representing God. He's fully representing man. And he is the, the only one who could be a, a go-between. Now, in uh, the first century, if you were Jewish, you best understood this by the, the role that the priests would play in like the, the, uh, the daily life, the yearly life, the, the life of the Levitical law and the sacrifices and all those kinds of things, that there was a priest and a system of priests that all were part of the same tribe, and their whole lives were devoted to helping the people um, be in right relationship to God. They were the ones who would receive the people and their sacrifices and help the sin transfer to the animals, and then they would make the sacrifices to God, atoning for the sins of the people. And this was this, this ongoing cycle of life that would happen. And the priests played this role of being in the middle between God and his people. Um, and so the book of Hebrews deals a lot with the fact that Jesus is the, is the perfect priest, and he's the last priest that we need. That he is the fulfillment of everything that we need as a mediator. And so, in short, um, when we're talking about interceding by a mediator, that's a, essentially what a priest would do. They would intercede. They would petition the Lord on behalf of the people, and they were kind of the middleman uh, for that. And so, as, a, as our high priest, Jesus, he made the sacrifice for our sin. He, uh, in so doing, he brings us safely near to God and petitions the Father on our behalf. So, Jesus... Was this made the sacrifice for your sin like a priest would? He brings you safely to the presence of God like a priest would, and he would make petition on like on behalf of you for God and say, you know, this is so and so, and their sins have been atoned for, and that person would would know that they had been restored in their relationship to God. That's how it went. And so for Jesus, we, there's a couple of verses. Let me just kind of run through them real, real quick. Verse uh, chapter ten, verse twenty one. says that we have a great high priest over the house of God. That as our great high priest over the house of God, like the household of God, the children of God, the people of God, we have this one great high priest who is Jesus. That his service to us was not just dying on a cross for our sins and inviting us in to be a part of that resurrected life. He also is, is there acting as our mediator uh, between God and us at all times. He's the great high priest over the house of God. If you back up to chapter 9, verse 24, it says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Okay, so, so we're in heaven, uh, sorry, we're, in, we're on earth, God's in heaven, there's a veil there, we're, but we're all in the same space. 
Jesus has crossed into God's realm and is there on our behalf right now. He's there on your behalf right now. And so we can't cross ourselves over there. So he goes before us. And since we are in union with him, we've been made one in him. Him being with the Father is like us being with the Father. He's there on our behalf, representing us in heaven to the Father. And if you back up to chapter 7, verse 23 and 24 and 25, it says, The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds the priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's able to save to the uttermost, like all the way to the end. All the way to the end of, whether you want to think of that as like the trajectory of life, or even to this next trial that you're in, or just today, you know, to the uttermost, he's able to save all of those who are identifying with him because he lives to make intercession for them. So what is he doing doing as he's ruling? He's overseeing all of creation. He's making everything happen. And when you come to him and you pray and you're like, would you please, would you, would you give me wisdom in this situation? That he is there at the right hand of the Father on your behalf saying, I think we should do it. I think we should. Let's give him wisdom. And that the Father doesn't, you know, the Father, he's never taken on flesh. He doesn't know, like, by experience how hard it is. And Jesus is saying, there are times when you really don't know what to do. It's crazy. (laughs) But you just don't. And he's praying for you. And as you're praying and you're asking for wisdom, he's going, yes, yes. You're asking for direction, yes. You're asking for peace. You're asking for healing. You're asking for, you're praying for your kids' salvation. You're praying for your neighbors. You're praying for a new job. You're praying for whatever. He's going, yes, yes, yes. You pray for something that's like super crazy and your motive is weird. And he's like, eh. He's like the backstop for all your bad prayers, you know? All your prayers that have been motivated by the wrong stuff and all the wrong whatevers. And he's like, meh. But he is there, and your prayers are literally going, like they're led by the Spirit through Christ to the Father. The whole Trinity is involved in our prayers. So his service to you and to me is not done. It's not limited. And the ascension reminds us that he is in the presence of God with the Father, and he is ruling, and he is interceding for his people. He is constantly being a mediator, representing God, and praying for you. You ever have those people where sometimes, you know, like life, go, life just happens and you're, you're just like, man, I got I to gotta get this person really praying for me. It's so, you, if you feel better to have people praying and sometimes there's a special people that you want praying, Jesus needs to be on your list. Like he needs to be on that list where you're like, Jesus, can you please just hear me? You know what it's like. Just hear me. And know that he is there interceding for you. That we still see the servant king. He's still serving you and he's still serving me. 
So what does this mean? Let me give a couple of practical things as we, as we wrap up. What does this have to do with anything? Well, the first one, the fact that Jesus is in heaven. The welcoming of Jesus into heaven is one more layer of truth for us, reminding us that our sins really have been dealt with. That if, like we claim to believe, our sins were placed onto Jesus, and he died for those, he absorbed all of that, and the Father raised him from the dead, and the Father said, come into the presence again, then that means that there isn't anything still lingering in terms of our redemption. That it really is finished. And so if you doubt that, the resurrection itself is a reminder, the ascension is another reminder. That Jesus has been welcomed into heaven, and if he was still dragging along some of our sin, that would not be the case. It also foreshadows our future, that we too will at some point be with the Father in a transformed body, where there is no veil, there is no doubt about His goodness, about His wisdom, about His character, about His presence, that we can look at that and say, yeah, that's, that's where I'm headed. He's the first fruit of the new creation. He's the prototype. We're following Him right into that. And we have to keep that in mind. We, we have to be reminded of that all the time. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that's set before us. That's not just a verse that's like, come on guys, let's hang in there. That's a verse that's saying, uh, okay, we're surrounded by like heaven. We have the race set before us is Jesus fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, and we follow him and we run, we run the race, and we don't have to wonder what it looks like. You know what the race looks like. The details are a little fuzzy. Yeah, okay. But you know what the race looks like. It looks like faithfulness, no matter what it costs us, all the way to the end. And it means crossing into that realm. And at some point in our future... That transformed body and that new creation, all those things become realized. The thing that Jesus knocked over the first domino, and we don't know how many dominoes are left, but there's a bunch of them that are rolling, but it's headed in a direction. So saying, so we're surrounded by heaven. We're surrounded by proof of what the end of the race looks like. Run it. Just run it. Verse 2, he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him. He was focused on something. So the ascension helps us know, like, okay, there's Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Transformed. He's, he's whole. Like, he made it. And he's constantly inviting people into that. Constantly, constantly, constantly. And so we have a model to follow. So we run the race. And we know what the race looks like. So Jesus is ruling. What does that, have to, what does that matter? Well, 
It means that if he can handle sin and death and Satan and all this stuff, if he can, if he can handle that and be raised from the dead, if he can pass safely into heaven, into the presence of the Father, if he can be seated at the right hand, if he can be over all authority and all rulers and all, of every name on heaven, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, if all those things can be true, do you think he can take care of your family? He can. Do you think he can help you with your addiction? Do you think he can help you overcome the wounds of the past? Can he help mend that relationship? Can he give you perspective? Can he work out whatever it is that's just got you wrenched on the inside? Can he handle it? He can handle it. He can absolutely handle it because he is reigning and ruling. Jesus is ruling. It does not mean our decisions should be thrown out the window, that our decisions don't matter, because they absolutely matter. What this is saying, that in the, in the fullness of God ruling and reigning, and He looks at you and He lets you make decisions, that if you, if you make the wrong decisions, you're not going to like break the world, because He is the one that's ruling it. And He's not going to let you do that. That even in the midst of our bad decisions, He's there, still praying, still interceding, still being Himself, able to help us. He is ruling and He is reigning. So if you're stressed out about your family or you're stressed out about work or you're stressed out about uh, the election, oh my goodness, right? Like, whoever our president is come November, um, Jesus is still in control of things. Which is not to say that it doesn't matter and that we shouldn't vote and all that kind of stuff, whatever, but it's just saying that, look, regardless of the outcome, it's, it's going to be okay. There have been way, way, way more weird elections that have happened in the history of the world. And it hasn't spun off its axis yet, you know. He's keeping it all together. And so our faith has to be in the right places. And if he's ruling, there's definitely, uh, he's definitely involved, so he definitely has an opinion. So if he's ruling the universe and he's ruling your life at the same time, then we need to be asking and seeking and knocking and listening a ton. And if you're facing things and you are not praying about it, you need, to, you need to get with it. Realize that Jesus ascended and he's there interceding for you. And so quit embedding yourself in the rebellion of humanity, trying to gain independence from God, and open up your hands and be humble and say, Jesus, you as the ruler of the, of, of the universe, should I buy this car? He, he gives a rip. He actually does. He cares about all those things, whatever it is. And so we need to be asking the one who is ruling because he's also the one who's interceding. Think about it, that Jesus is literally praying for you. Not only do your prayers go through him, he's praying for you on your behalf. He wants what you want. He wants your healing and your restoration. He wants the hope that he offers to be real and tangible for you. He absolutely does. The ascension reminds us of that. The ascension of Jesus reminds us of so many huge things. And so let's not forget that he's left us for a reason, but he's not up there twirling his thumbs. He is active, and he is excited about what he has begun in you. And if you are not a Christian, he wants to begin something in you. I would love to talk to you about that afterwards. That's just who he is. 
The same Jesus we see on the earth is the same Jesus we see ruling and reigning. And now he's got the scars that have earned him the right to say, I am over all this. Let's get to it. So I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope this is, like, I hope this is life-giving. I hope that we can rest in it because it's beautiful and it's powerful. Well, let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a little bit. We're going to sing a song that, uh, we're going to sing two songs, uh, you know, surprisingly, right? We always sing two songs. The first one, though, is like, it's this old hymn, and it is, it is perfect in terms of this, this intercession that Jesus provides for us and what that means. And the other one, we're just going to join with heaven and kind of just uh, shouting some things to Jesus for what he has done. So let me pray for us. Lord, I am so grateful. God, I'm grateful for uh, just the fact that we can know this stuff. You know, that Jesus didn't just ascend and then they just had to figure it out. That you continued to guide those apostles, that they were faithful in believing you and praying and, and waiting. That when, when you sent your spirit to live in them, that that was something they received and they were open to and they were excited about. And as the church grew, God, that they were faithful to take that message to those who hadn't heard it yet. And that here we are all these years later because of that faithfulness and that belief that they took your word seriously when you said to go and to tell them. And so now as we're trying to figure out uh, everything from family life to professional life to um, how to talk to kids about these big truths and um, figure out how to make it through the schedule of life and order and, uh, and that's just personal life. We haven't even talked about church life or politics and government and the economy and there's just so much that's going on. God, I, I take great comfort from knowing that, Jesus, you are there with all the authority, that you've been given that name that is above anything that comes our way. And when we realize that, we respond like the, like the verse says, that our knees bow, our tongues confess, that you alone are Lord. And so maybe that's what we do for the next few minutes. Maybe this is confession for us, Lord, that we do believe that you are in heaven, Jesus, and that you are reigning and ruling and interceding for us, that, that we believe these things to be true. We believe Romans 8, 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, For your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us to believe this more deeply. And as we sing, would you make some things come alive in us tonight?